Welcome to Busted Biscuits. I'm Jen Stanley. And I'm Jill Super. And today, we are continuing our series about trust. Yes, we are. So last week, we talked quite a bit about um, what trust is. And we had kind of decided that, um, that trust is really the foundation for any relationship. Yes. Like we've said for the longest time that you really need to learn how to be vulnerable. You need to be able to share yourself. And it's like, okay, so besides like giving you the skills and, and like the how to share yourself, what makes it hard to share yourself mm-hmm. and be vulnerable? Mm-hmm. It's the ability to trust, yes. right? And so if you don't trust, then you can't be vulnerable. And so then how do we determine how we're going to trust somebody? Like what what factors in our life, you know, helps us to trust or to distrust, you know, all those things. And so um, we talked about Eric Erickson and how it's like that foundational developmental stage that we have from like infancy to like about 18 months that we are establishing trust versus mistrust. So like this is the very, very beginning of life things that happen to us that like everything else is built upon it. Super interesting. Yes. Yeah, it has been. Yes. And so um, the resource that we're using for this is a book called Attached. And it's by, is it Amir Levine and Rachel Heller? Yes. Okay. So we will have this book on our website, like a link for it. So you can find it if you wanted to get it. But um, it's been super interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I had a friend like talk about this book. And so um, I picked it up at her recommendation and it's been sitting on my nightstand for a little while. And then I finally go, you know what? I think this is the time to dive into it. And like, I've been really intrigued and feel like I learned a lot about attachment styles by utilizing this book. Good. So um, we would, I would strongly encourage people to check it out if this is something, a topic that interests you. Mm-hmm. Because there also is like a quiz inside the book that shows you, you can take to determine what type of attachment style you have. We can link that in the yes, too. we totally can. So if they're going to go find that on the website, Jill, how would they do that? Uh, so if you're online on a computer, you're going to go to podcast in the top left corner. And if you are on a mobile device, you're going to click the three lines and find podcast. And um, we have our podcasts all set up there that you can link out to Spotify to listen to them. And so you'll find it in this this episode's show notes. Okay. And our website is www.bustedbiscuits.us. Yes. So go there and check this out. Yes. So if you're interested in that resource, go find it there. Um, okay, so looking into the different types of attachments. So I will say this, that the, the resource that we used last episode used different words than the book we're using for this episode. It did. So in <laughs> case we get confusing, I wanted to kind of... Um, Set the stage. Yeah. So um, in our previous episode, the book we used called it ambivalent, the type ambivalent. And so in this one, we're going to call it anxious. Which anxious. I think probably people can relate a little bit more I to. I think so. Yeah. And then there's also a combined type. So between anxious and avoidant, and they called that scattered. And we're just going to call it combined. Okay. So, and we won't be talking near as much about the combined because since we talk about the anxious mm-hmm. and avoidant, like you can kind of find yourself in that <laughs> anyway. Okay. So 50% of all people are securely attached. Wow, that seems high. It, I thought it was really high too. I was like, I didn't expect it to be that high, but they would mm-hmm. identify as being securely attached. Then it's um, good, but oh uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> then twenty five percent are avoidant. Okay, twenty percent are anxious, and then that last three to five percent, which if you do the math, it's five percent. But the book said three to five. So like, <laughs> what happens if the other two? Anyway, uh, I guess it's room for error. Error it would, be, would be considered the combined type, okay. and so they're both. And so to define these things, secure people they feel comfortable with intimacy and are usually warm and loving. Like they don't make sense. They yeah. don't mind it. Like that, like there's kind of the ideal situation that intimacy is something that they look for. They engage in it. Like it's just, everything's good. They come, they're comfortable with being a little bit independent, but also having those relationships and those ties to people. Yes. Okay. Anxious people seem to crave intimacy. 
and are often preoccupied with their relationships and tend to worry about the partner's ability to love them back. Mm. I mean, anxious and worry go hand in hand, yes, right? Yes. Those are things that are you, that make sense. So they're all, they're worried. They don't feel safe and secure in their relationship, and so they're constantly preoccupied with that. Then we've got avoidant people, and they equate intimacy with a loss of independence and constantly try to minimize closeness. Like they don't want to get close to any, they don't want to let you in. Like they're afraid they're going to lose something of themselves if they connect to you. And so they really do their best to like keep some distance. Makes sense. Yeah. And then with a combined type, you've got this person that's worried, but then when they get too close, they push them away. (laughs) So, so um, we did the quiz right before, (laughs) before we started this episode. And so um, Jill, what did we discover about you? Uh, we discovered that my estimation that I am a combined type is very, very, very extremely accurate. <laughs> right? It was. So like we we did the quiz on her and uh, asked her the questions and I marked them. And so like she had the exact same answer for each type. And so like <laughs> the secure had one more than the other two. I would like to claim secure because yeah. it had one. Right. So since it was the most advanced, like the highest they one. We were all tied, but it had one extra. <laughs> well, and to be fair, you were saying, well, I used to do this, but I don't yeah. now. And so like recognizing that where you stood before mm-hmm. versus where you are now. So like you're able to see the differences and going, well, this would, this definitely would have been true at one point, but I don't know that it's true now. Absolutely. And I think mm-hmm. that's a lot. I mean, it has a lot to do with growth, right? Like, yes, we're doing this. The purpose in Busted Biscuits is to get you to the point where you feel more comfortable and confident and you're having these healthy relationships. And so I will yes. say, I used to be very, very much, I was probably one, then I was the other, Yeah, you know, depending on my, my current moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I can see that there's like, I can look back and say, I, I really did do those things, but I, I can identify them in my life now and sort of pause in the moment and, and move forward in a in a better way. You know, yeah. I can respond differently. I can, I can take that weight off that I'm carrying around about the worry or the, you know, uh-huh. or the loss of independence and I can lift it up and I can say, no, nah, I don't need to worry about this. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the relationship as opposed to, you know, my insecurities. Yeah. So, so, so I too, I would agree that I feel like I'm in a secure place. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I'm at that type. But, oh, that's not like you tested. Well, you, your answers were all secure. <laughs> well, okay. Yes. But, but I will say I can see though, like pieces of, of the anxious type that I've lived through in the same way that you're saying that things have changed. Like I could identify, yeah, there's a point in time in my life that I would have done this. You know, I would have responded this way. And so I definitely think I probably had some tendencies for an anxious attachment. Okay. Um, and so an anxious attachment, um, well, you, you, you share and then you're afraid what that sharing is going to do. Okay. That <laughs> you know? makes sense for you. Right. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, securely attached people can quit very easily say how they feel about things. And so I've been pretty okay with sharing how I feel about things. That part's not been hard, but then sometimes I would worry about what the impact of that would be, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, um, but I don't think avoidant would be me. Like I, I tend to want to, to connect to people in close, you know, in a good way. And so like, um, intimacy, like Verbal intimacy is important and easy for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that. I, socially, I'd much rather have a long conversation with one person than like 10 conversations with, you know, just, hi, how are you doing? Yeah. Like I would much, much rather connect in an intimate way. So I, avoidant isn't really my thing. I think avoidant for me was like earlier in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Like I just avoided relationships in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't want to, but mine was not so much as uh, independence as it was the, um, the risk oh, right yeah. uh-huh. do you know what I mean but um yeah I do like I I get 
claustrophobic in a relationship, if that even makes sense. I'm sure people out there will be like, oh, yeah, I get that. Uh -huh. um, if you're that type, because you're just you just think, oh, no, I can't. I, I just want to it's I got to be me. Yeah, <laughs> like, I got to step back and just do what I want to do or or think what I want to think or, you know, mm -hmm. be in a moment where it's just me. I, I, I don't want to have to attach myself. This is too much pressure to put on myself to be in this relationship. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I can identify with that. Well, and so while this book is really geared towards like dating relationships, and so most of our yeah. talk is going to be skewed to that, you can definitely see how these traits are tr true in your friendships. Oh, agree. You know, I can definitely see that. There's definitely been relationships that I've been anxious in and worried about, and I had the thought, oh, if they really knew what I thought, mm -hmm. or who, or they if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Yeah. You know, or if I really share who I am, they're going to run away and not want to be in my life. Like I've definitely had seasons of believing that to be true, and so like I, I think you can definitely see these traits in our friendships with, you know, with each other. Yeah. And I think when you say dating, I think you can, they also carry into marriage if we're not healing oh, yeah. before we get oh, married. Yeah. Like, you know, that it, this is, this is how you feel about your spouse as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, I'd agree. There's well, a lot of applications for this. Yes. And I would add parent to child. So oh, that yeah. as a parent, yeah. you know, since we're adults here, adults having children, you know, then you might be interacting with your children in the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, it can closeness Great can point. be scary, you know, well, or you're overly anxiously attached to them. And, you know, you try to get to really close and then fear the rejection, you know, yeah. so I, I see Ooh, it all over yeah. the place. Yeah. Well, and I think that ties into some of the research you found when you were reading through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so we had said last week that our attachment styles are really dependent on um, how we attach to our parents. And so like, that's definitely... A factor. Um, and, but there's are also some more research out there that's saying that it's not just that, that it also can be, um, our relationships as adults, like those, those, um, situations that we are exposed to like impact our, um, our ability to connect. And it's cause you like learn from things. So like the best example is like when the stove is hot and you accidentally burn your finger, like you don't touch that again. Right. Cause you learn from it. And so sometimes we learn the wrong things, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> sometimes we yes. go, Oh, well when I did, this is what happened. So that means I, this is the, how I have again. to respond, you know? And so we, we grab a hold of those things. Well, and I think too, in, in terms of that, like people are different than a stove, right? You know, mm -hmm. a stove is always going to give you heat. Mm -hmm. That person may be in a place where in this moment, that's the reaction. But, yeah. you know, if you're helping them and they're helping you and you're going to get to a better place, there's, there's always work that people can do to get to a better place so that those aren't the impressions that we leave people with. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Bowlby, he's a big, um, psychology person, like did a bunch of research, <laughs> right? So he's the one that said, do you not like his name? I think it's funny. No, I just think it's funny. He's Bowlby. a psychology person. He did a lot of research. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a guy important. out there. He's important. <laughs> if you have a psychology book, Bowlby will definitely be in your psychology book. How about that? He's a person. He's a name you should know. Okay. Um, so he linked adult attachment to childhood attachment. Like he's the one that said, Hey, there's some connections here. But then there was a study done in, in 2000 that they looked at 2000 different parent-child pairs so like they looked at these parents to see what the connections were between um if, if the parent and child had a good connection how did that impact their security and so they found a link there was a link but they also thought that there were they found other issues that could attribute to our ability to connect and so things like uh, a positive maternal conditions so like marital satisfaction low stress and depression Social supports, like if the mom has good support. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, then she has the ability to connect better to her child. Again, 
it, going back to that, what we were just saying, yeah. like, you know, it, it depends on the place that you're yes. at. You can get to a better place and leave a better impression. Yes. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Well, that's No, good. And so then like if the child has an easy temperament, like it's way mm. easy to meet the needs of a child that doesn't cry all the time. That isn't colicky. Right. Yeah. You know, it's colicky, <laughs> but you're like, I need a break. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah. Remembering those times, like Todd, you've got to take this child right now. Like I can't, I need to walk away, you know? And so like, that's easier to, mm-hmm. um, to meet the needs of when the child's easy. Right. So that's definitely a factor. And then also like um, time with a non-parental caregiver. So the more time that a child had with their parent, the better, the more securely attached they were. Oh, wow. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. It is. And so, um, but I think you also can like be attached to a caregiver, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. so like if it's consistent, so consistent care is important, you know, and familiarity and that kind of thing um, is is important to those security things. Now, again, this isn't all black and white, you know, so true. <laughs> right? So these are these are factors. These are potential things. But um, And then there's a new idea that's like been gaining momentum and like they're still studying it. So um, I didn't find where there was any like proof of this yet, but they're definitely looking at it that they feel like there may be a gene hmm. that in turn that that attributes our ability to connect. That's the science part. The science part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always find that interesting because I always think, is there a gene when, you know, you hear something like about behaviors or things like that. Is there a gene that really does that? All kinds of things in our life. Is there something that's causing me to be this way? Or is there something that, you know, is controllable? The truth is genes can be controlled. Uh, Mm -hmm. We touched on a little bit with like alcoholism, right? Or, or some of the other things that happen like breast cancer. You don't necessarily, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're absolutely going to get breast cancer, but there's a risk for that. And so you have to mitigate that risk and manage Mm -hmm. that well and take care of yourself and stay healthy and do all of the things does it mean you're not going to get it? No. Does it mean you're going to get it? No. So you, right. you, know, you kind of have to, you have to do the work yourself. Absolutely. So um, what do you think about like our culture and independence? Do you think, what does our culture think about independence? I think that the word dink comes to mind. The word what? Dink. Dink. The double income, no kids, people, oh, those couples. I've never heard that before. <laughs> Wow. And I think about that. They're like, you know, we're independent. We live independent lives. We're out there doing our own thing and we don't have anything to worry about. And so while that may be the path that they want to walk, which is, which is really okay. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be said for someone who's like, no, I'm, I'm a strong independent woman. I don't need, you know, from my perspective, I'm a strong independent woman. I don't need people in my life. I don't need to, I don't need anybody to help me get where I'm going. I'm Mm going to get there on my own. Um, I think that, that our culture is of that that tendency at this point in time. Yeah. Right? Like, I think there's a lot of that. Well, I definitely think, think um, for our generation. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I remember, like, really being ready to be on my own. Like, I could not wait to be, you know, in my own apartment or gone to college. Like, this is how silly I was. But, like, the Christmas before I graduated high school, so the Christmas of my senior year, I asked for things for my dorm room. <laughs> like that I wasn't going to need till August. So A, that shows you what a planner I am, yes. <laughs> which is dumb because my mom would have bought me Christmas presents and what I needed, you yeah. know, for school. And so, but, so but whatever reason, I wanted to be prepared. But I remember asking for things like my bedspread and stuff that I wanted for my, uh, for my dorm room <laughs> at Christmas. So like, I know that that was important for me. Mm-hmm. And I know, so you mentioned the dink. So then double income, like I'm noticing that more and more people, more and more teens and early 20s are staying at home Mm -hmm. it just costs a lot to be on your own you know and so it's not as easy to get out on your own no and that was part of what they say about these these couples that are choosing not to have kids like they're they're stable enough to be able to be out in the world on their own and Mm -hmm. do do what they need to do to 
to live a, a, nor- a life like yeah. what we would call a normal life right to have a home or to rent or whatever have a car it's like though it, it is more expensive and you're right it, the independence the independence is still there i think like they want that independence but they're also smart about the independence mm-hmm. and, and knowing that you know there's reasonable reasons to make some of the choices that they make. Well, and we had talked about this in our previous episodes about like having adult children. And yeah. so like, how do you balance that? And yep. so then like, you know, um, Carly is in our, our household and she's 19. And so um, trying to balance those things, like giving her the freedom that she needs to have at that yeah. age, but also saying, hey, this is, there's expectations. You know, we still want you to do the dishes when it's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And so, but finding that, you know, the Good line balance. between those things. Yeah. It's like, I want to give her all the independence that she can, but you know, but also, so there's some expectations that we would still have. And so how do you find that line? How do I um, help her to like make good decisions and like empower her to do that, you yep. know, and like step away from that parental role. And so like, I think that there's some independence that I'm fostering in her and she's, she's been pretty independent. Like, it's not like it's that hard, but like me as a parent, she's my first one. And so I'm learning <laughs> all the things. And so like making sure that I, that I push her and raise her up and say, you know, you can do these things and be independent. Yeah. And so hopefully, um, launching her in the way that we should but but our society has been there's just somewhat of a shift at least there's a dependency financially on each other but I think there's still a drive for independence relationship wise what do you think about that um I would I don't know I mean yes I would think to some degree there is okay um like for whatever reason, the social influencers are in my influencers okay. are in yes. my head, and I think about in terms of that, like oh, I'm out here, I'm independently doing what I'm gonna do, you know, doing my thing, and and I'm I'm not conforming to you know what may mm-hmm. may have been expected in the past. I'm I'm doing something different. I'm branching out, um, and so there's a lot of striving towards that type of lifestyle, right? That that independent lifestyle where you're not required to count on having a nine to five job and and, and those types of things. You know what I mean? Like there's so many different, uh, there's so many different ways that you could look about, look at independence in that way in society Mm -hmm. today, I think. Yeah. Well, so one of the most interesting things that I came across in preparing for this was about um, like the beliefs about children and parenting. Mm. So um, let's see. So Western society believed that children would be happier if they were left to their own devices and taught to soothe themselves. Like give give like, a time frame com- well, so time frame for this. That's like the 1940s. <laughs> yes. So it said experts <laughs> warned that coddling would result in needy and insecure children who would become emotionally unhealthy and maladjusted adults. So you like, <laughs> like what? It's like, okay, clearly we know that's not true. Parents were told not to lavish too much attention on their infant and to allow them to cry for hours and to train them to eat on a strict schedule. Children in hospitals were isolated from their parents. It could only be visited through a glass window. Social workers would remove children from the home at the slightest sight of trouble. That's so sad. It is. <laughs> but, but, you know, but think about this. Like if this is the, the beliefs in the 1940s. And so that's like baby moon or time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then that would be our parents. Yep. They kind of, this is how that they were raised. Yep. So our grandparents would have raised our parents to like not to lavish affection, not yeah. to like coddle them. And so then when you look at that through that lens, oh my word, we see why that happens. Like how often do we hear people say, yeah, my dad never said that he loved me, mm, you know, yeah, or, you yeah. know, my mom didn't really hug me very much or, um, you know, like, yeah, we just didn't talk about feelings in my mm. household. It's like, this was like the modern day discussions. Like this is how people felt about things. 
it's crazy to it think is. about a time where that that was the case right but like it makes <laughs> sense when we it see does. these pieces well i mean it explains the generations right yes, like the division between where you're at and why why our kids can't get along with their grandparents <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. disconnect, right? yes i don't understand <laughs> well okay so then to go back just a smidge further in the 1920s there was a common belief that proper distance should be maintained between parents and their children and that physical affection would be should be doled out sparingly so like not all the hugging and stuff there was a popular parenting book called The Psychological Care of Infant and Child that warned of the dangers of too much love and affection. Blech. Yeah. It, so to quote the book, it said, the perfect child would be an autonomous, fearless, self-reliant, adaptable, problem-solving being who does not cry unless physically hurt, is absorbed in work and play, and has not great attachment to any place or person. Emotionally disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like this kid like it's basically like you give birth to a kid and you just like oh good luck go stay over there till you're grown and you can go yeah. out and function we, in society. we eat at eight <laughs> noon and five that's all you know like welcome to it <laughs> i mean like there's yeah figure it out good luck and so then man <laughs> right and so like seeing our generations through that light just makes so much sense to me yeah yeah you know because like th this was the modern way of thinking about things I know this is a random thought, and I'm sorry for interjecting it here, but I always look at those roaring 20s, right? Mm -hmm. Like the 1920s where people were out dining and dancing and doing all of the crazy things before mm -hmm. the stock, mar stock market crashed. And, and I think about all the babies now at home, just like left at home. <laughs> that makes so much sense. I always used to wonder, how do they have time for that? Because they were conditioned to leave their oh. families and walk away and yeah. create the space. Yes. Ugh. Well, and so and keep in mind for the 1920s, like they're hanging out in basements because like that was the whenever prohibition yeah. happened. Yes. And so then they were, they were drinking in, in secret. Yes. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so then I'll, while they're out living the, this fun lifestyle, <laughs> their kids are at home, like, hope you don't die. Exactly. You know, and so like siblings are taking care of each other and they're think as a parent, they're thinking this is the best option. Yeah. This is the best way to, to love my child. Yes. So, which exactly. is nuts. Okay. So then, then in the 1950s and 60s, this is when Bowlby came about. Um, they started to, he started to notice poor development of infants who were raised without an attachment figure. So like these were infants that were displaced after World War II. They started like doing some studies. And so then um, Ainsworth and Bowlby, they made it clear that there's a connection between an infant and a caregiver and that it was essential for the child's survival as much as food and water. Because they're seeing these yeah. kids without a, without a caregiver, without attachment. And so they're seeing the effects of it. Like, well, what's going on here? And so they didn't have that attachment figure. So sad. It is. So then I wanted to think, this is my own uh, thoughts about this. So I, this, this isn't based in research. This is Jen Stanley, my assessment, <laughs> right? So I could be completely wrong here. But so in thinking in terms of how this information gets disseminated. So think about like, so... It wasn't until fairly recently that psychology became a class that you could take in high school. Because mm -hmm. psychology was like a new field that was kind of developed. You know, you had Freud and all that in the 1800s. And so, like, it wasn't really brought in and accepted. It was more something like an elective you could take in college, right? So, this thinking about that you got this book that's out that's like, don't touch your kid, don't love on them. Like, this is, like, socially what you're talking about. Then, in the 1950s and 60s, they start to have these these discoveries, which then would be discussed on a college campus in a college level. And so it's like almost like educated adults would have the opportunity to get exposed to these new ideas and be able to apply them. Then, so you have a different people group that, that like may, maybe blue collar, maybe someone that goes into a trade, maybe it's someone that doesn't go to college. And so they aren't exposed to these ideas. Mm -hmm. And so they continue to parent in the same way that they were parented. Yeah. Because they've not seen or heard about new stuff. Yeah. Right. And so then 
Like it makes sense that we see this pattern because like their parents didn't love them or didn't hug on them, you know, love on them. It's not saying they didn't love them, but didn't express their love. Right. And so then they never learned how to do that or even knew that it was important. They're like, well, my mom didn't hug me or my dad never said I loved you. So why do I need to do that to my own kids? And not even knowing how to do it, Mm -hmm. it just feels so awkward and weird because it's so, so out of practice. And then you don't give it to your own child. And so then just the cycle happens. Yeah. Well, and I think too, there's a lot of divide you know what I mean you go to the internet there's a lot of divide on how to parent your kids and some of it is old quote unquote old school and some of it is new wave or bougie or whatever you want to call it right like Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where that divide in my brain that's that makes sense as to where that divide happened like you had a group of people who were learning different things and and kind of moving on from past understandings and people who kind of stayed with what they knew and what they were taught and what they were told by those influences in their life and so it it makes sense that even the way that society is today that that's where we're at Mm -hmm. right well I I wonder too I wonder too how much like the whole like free love of the 60s came about because these kids weren't getting loved at home you know they weren't getting affection and so they're like oh let's go love everyone you know so like let's get this love other places so they recognized in themselves that they had a need for it yep and they're rebelling against their own parents and their ideals well when i think of the movie rebel without a cause like i've not actually seen the movie it's just the title itself like yeah they're rebelling because they don't you know what i mean they they Mm -hmm. don't understand they they didn't feel what some of these other people felt and they don't have those same emotional connections to like help support them and get them healthy healthy relationships through this so it's crazy how much and then we don't trust each other i know right it all comes back right (laughs) big surprise yeah so like in the same way that the belief was to be independent children had to be independent children was your best situation. So there's this belief that independent children were the best thing. So being independent adults was also prioritized. Like that was super important. Mm, Yeah. So then like codependency is frowned upon, like not wanting to be dependent on someone else. And so, um, the school of thought is that our happiness should come from within and not be dependent on anyone else. The ideal relationship is between two self-sufficient people who unite in a mature, respectful way while maintaining clear boundaries. But When we are attached to someone, our partners regulate our blood pressure, our heart rate, our breathing, and there are levels of hormones in our blood. So these biological theories indicate that we need each other. Oh. Yeah. So like you've probably heard this before, (laughs) like when you have have a boyfriend and like something about that's released in their sweat glands that can impact your mood in a good way. Research it. Well, I think about the, the twin babies too, uh, right? One being healthy, one not so, not as healthy. And they put them together in the, in the thing and let them co co sleep uh-huh. and they get stronger and better because they're with that, that baby, yeah. right? Like, I mean, the very basics. Yeah. yeah. So, so while our, our society has said it's better to be independent, yeah. you know, what our, our biological makeup is, is that we're really better off when we have people around us. Yeah. Well, and you've talked a little bit about mm-hmm. that before too, with like the drive, the, you know, the connection, that physical connection that we have with intimacy and so forth and in, in, in dating relationships or, or marriages. So yeah, that we just don't want to be just, alone. Yeah. We're not created for that. Mm-hmm. So, but once we choose a partner, a dependency always exists, becoming a physiological unit. Like when he reacts, I react. When she's upset, I'm upset. He's, you know, the both things. And so then you now are a part of each other. And so like we have to understand <laughs> that when you're in a relationship, like you take those things on. Right. Now, not in an unhealthy way where you're like, um, you know, you're fighting the battle for the person, but like you empathetically connect and go, man, that makes me angry too, that that happened to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes that, that makes me sad that you're going through this. And so like connecting with that, those people or, or the people in our lives is really an important thing. So like there's a codependency, but it's a healthy one. Yeah. Can, do you see yeah. the difference? Yeah, in those there's, things? there's absolutely a line. I can, I can see that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, but this doesn't mean that in order to be happy, we need to be overly connected to our partners, but the opposite is true. So our ability to step out in the world is often connected to the knowledge that we have someone with us on this journey to depend on. So this is called the dependency paradox. <laughs> so it's like when we be dependent, but not too dependent. Well, actually <laughs> it's about once you feel connected to someone, you feel safe to try new things. Oh yeah. And so like you aren't as fearful to, to step out because you've got someone on your team like a hand to hold as you're going through it all yes i love that yes and so then when when someone else believes in you you're like okay i can do this when you're just completely on your own and isolated you don't always have the confidence to do things okay wow that's that's pretty deep right there because if you think about it i mean that is that is the reality right like Mm -hmm. you're building the confidence in that person to know that all of the things that have happened before the shame that i'm carrying the guilt that i'm carrying the the insecurities the inadequacy all of those things become less of a foundation in identifying who I am because Mm -hmm. I've got somebody who's saying, no, that's not you. Mm -hmm. You can do this. Go Mm -hmm. ahead. I'm right here with you. We're going to do it together. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but knowing that you have to be the one to take the step and do it. Yeah. So there's like that fine line, like you said, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I also think it has to do with like the ability to bounce your idea off of someone else, Mm, you know, because like when you're isolated and you're by yourself, you don't have anybody to think through it with. You know, it just ping pongs back and forth, you know, in your head. And so then, you know, you never know if this is successful. You could probably talk yourself out of it. But if you're verbally processing, which we talk about a lot and being able to say to, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm thinking about. Then like you have someone to go, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I believe in you. I know that you can do this. You know, mm-hmm. and so there's been many times that Todd's done that for me, that he's been able to, to call that out and say, oh, yeah, you can absolutely do this. Or like, why are you thinking that you can't do that? You know, like, <laughs> I don't understand, you know, and so he's been a great cheerleader for me mm-hmm. and, and given me the confidence to try to try new things. And good. so like, yeah, that's been a good thing. Um, so we talked a little bit about the stranger situation test you and I did before we started. Oh, yeah. So this is like a, um, oh, it's kind of a basic mm, study that, that, or, um, it's not study isn't the word I want to do, but, but anyway, this, uh, I've lost it. So my Alzheimer's is kicking in. Um, so essentially experiment, experiment. Okay, yeah. We'll go over that. That's a good word. We'll use experiment. So like we, this is something that if you took a psychology class, you probably talked about this because it's pretty foundational to, um, to our relationships and, and attachment stuff. Mm-hmm. So basically what happens is that you've got a mother and like a 12 month old child and a researcher that go into a room full of toys. And so the child is usually being held by the mom. You know, she sees the toys, she crawls out of her mom's lap and goes and likes explores the toys. Well then, you know, the researcher then instructs the mom to leave the room. The mom leaves the room. And while the mom is gone, the baby gets really freaked out. And starts crying and, you know, and, and ignores the toys, crawls over to the door, beats on the door, and it's crying and it's waiting for the mom to come back. Then uh, the researcher, like, will try to distract the baby and, like, it's not happening. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, no, I want my mom. <laughs> and so then, you know, the mom comes back <laughs> in the room. <laughs> yeah, she picks up the baby and then, you know, the baby becomes calmer, begins to get soothed. And, like, once the baby feels calm, then she gets out of her mom's lap and goes back to playing with the toys. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's like, it's this home base you know, so the finding of the study where that we have a, an attachment figure in the room makes it okay for the child to explore an unfamiliar environment. So it's the same kind of like they feel the safety to like, there's a home base, they can go explore and then come back and check in, mm-hmm. go back and check in. And so like, as a parent, you've probably experienced that, you know, yeah, your yeah. child doing that. Absolutely. And so I definitely think this is true for me. Like I, like I've even told you before, Jill, that I think that in a lot of ways, you're my secure spot. You're, you know, like, like to, I'll, to st- I'll be standing in the back of the room waiting. <laughs> right. 
well. So like, um, there was a time when I was involved in the chamber of commerce, uh, back in Kansas. And I remember like having to go to like the social event. And it was when I was just at the beginning and I didn't know anybody there. And I remember going, just walking in the room and just like looking around, like I don't know anybody. And so I stayed until it was appropriate to leave. And then I left, you know, like I didn't explore at all. Like I didn't yeah. try to talk to anybody or yeah. connect. Like I just came in and like, this doesn't feel safe. I don't, I don't have a home base here. I'm out. And so then, um, and then the next time after I'd been involved in the organization a little bit, I had to go to one of those mixers. I knew somebody. And so then I felt like I had a home base. And so then I could like, the person was there and I would leave them and go say hello to someone and I would come back to my home base and I would leave them and go say hello to someone else and come. And so, or, or someone would walk up and we would engage in conversation. So I know it's true for me that I need to have to feel secure in a social setting. Like I just do better when I have a, a, um, well, just security when I feel safe about that. Now, if I'm, if I'm in charge of the group and it's new, like I can, I have a sense of responsibility and obligation, then I can overcome that and go and talk to people. But if I don't know anybody and I'm just there in the member, member of the group, like it takes me a little bit. I would say the same thing. I think I'm still at a point where I need somebody to push me along a little bit and be mm-hmm. like, no, you know, you can do this, go do it, just go do it and get it over with. Um, but I, I do understand what you mean. There's like this, this sense of safety. Like you said, it yeah. really does. It, it really is noticeable when, when you're in the room with someone you trust as opposed to yeah. not. Yeah. Man. That's crazy. Yeah. So then it said, like, if we lack this sense of security, then we're, we're not confident that our partner truly believes in us. Like, we find it much harder to maintain uh, focus and engage in life. So if we don't have this confidence that our partner or even our friends, like, believe in us, then it's harder for us to, like, step out and try new things. Like, we feel like we have to have this, uh, this support. Well, I would say... In that sense, if you've got a partner or you've mm-hmm. got a, you've got friends that you don't feel like that with, turn around and look in the mirror because it's probably it's probably rooted in some some sort of emotion or a feeling or attachment to yeah. something in the past that is holding you back. Yeah. Um, I, I'd be curious and I'd say, go listen to the first 20, 26 episodes and figure out what that is. Yeah. What is it that's keeping you from like yeah. you can trust? Like when did you touch the, the stove and get burned? Yeah, that exactly, kind of thing, exactly. You know, and then make decisions about, I can't trust anybody or mm. I can't, I can't let anybody in or I can't rely on anybody. Like there's something that's probably happened that's caused them to feel like they can't. Yeah. Because it opens up a whole new, a whole new world, right? Mm-hmm. Your life changes when you find those people that you can connect with in that way. Yeah. The confidence that you have stepping out and stepping forward is, is insane. And people looking at your life will be like, wow, did you just do that? I yeah. can't believe it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, w- I would encourage everyone to, uh, yeah, to try. Yeah, to, try. to take some time and to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the book that we mentioned, this book called Attached, there, like I said, there is an assessment that you can do on yourself to determine which attachment style you tend to lean towards. And then there's also one that you can do on the person that you're in a relationship with. Nice. To, yeah, to be able to tell like what, what what you're dating or what you're married <laughs> to or what you're hanging out with, you know, what, which type of style. And so um, we've got like three more episodes coming. And so we're going to like look at each of these three main styles, which is the uh, um, anxious, the avoidant, and then the secure. And so um, we're going to see like the traits of those. And so we're wanting people to look at those, like assess themselves and say, oh, I definitely identify with this. You know, how do I change it? And then also like, oh, this is who I've been spending time with. How can Mm -hmm. I best support them? Yeah. You know, and so then, and then how can I develop trust in these situations? What needs to change so that I can connect in the ways that I need to connect? And so I'm excited about it. I'm excited too. I would say when we get there, knowledge is half the battle, right? Like knowing and understanding is half the battle. It's really 
putting the work in and mm-hmm. and putting the effort into making some of those changes in your life that are, that are going to have a positive impact. So uh, coming just from where I was, obviously, I have one one extra tick mark in the secure spot, right? And I'm going to cl- claim secure, but you can't get there, yeah. right? Like, you know, we, we talked a little bit about you being in the secure spot. You've had lots and lots of time in 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 therapy yes. uh, quote well, unquote therapy yeah in- <laughs> with your friends but mm-hmm. you've had a lot of opportunity to really grow and learn and understand these things yeah people who are listening it's not going to happen overnight just so that you're prepared we are just starting we're just going to touch the surface so that we can help you identify and understand but yeah definitely it's it's doable Right. I would completely agree with that. And so like, yeah, not everyone spent their entire career in, in, <laughs> in psychology, right? And like had all these opportunities to see things that they wanted to shift and change. Yeah. And so I, I don't expect everyone that's listening to like be in a healthy spot. I really yeah. don't. And so, um, but it doesn't mean you can't get there. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And so just, like you said, it's just being aware of it is really important and can, is those first steps to doing it. Yep. So awareness. Anyway, I'm so excited about what's coming. It's great. Okay. So till next time when we bust some biscuits. Bye,